Hello, and welcome to Projected Futures, where we explore the possibilities of projection mapping. I'm Ryan Ritchie. The rise in popularity of projection mapping in recent years has been a global phenomenon. I'm very excited to have joining us today from Perth, Australia, Joe Crosley. Joe is a longtime projection artist whose interest started with passion for music and DJing. After pairing visuals with DJ sessions, he was hooked. Today, he's the founder of Astral Project, a global collective of artists experimenting and building cutting-edge experiences. From a projection mapping show at the Sydney Opera House to a 360-degree projection in the sand and wind at Burning Man, Joe has truly brought projection mapping to every corner of the globe. Joe, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's get right into it. You you took sort of an unusual path to the arts and to uh, projection mapping and the world of interactive video. Tell, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I started, um, I was a musician at school, went to university and studied marine biology, which was primarily because my mother wanted me to be a scientist and I wanted to honor honor her in my education. Um, hmm. But in the back of my mind, I think when I finished university, there was a lot of arguing it just frustrated me quite a lot that um, that my entire career was going to be based upon on that premise. So through that, I got back into music through DJing, actually. It was the early 90s and uh, became quite a successful DJ. Through that, started producing my own events. And that led me into um, trying to create different aesthetics for my events and parties that we were organizing. And that really led me into projection mapping. We were in Chamonix in France, which was just, just outside Geneva. And Geneva was the hotbed of this new mapping movement with a mapping festival and certain companies like Garage Cube and, and Mad Mapper. And, and a lot of this stuff was coming out of Switzerland at the time. So I managed to get onto that pretty early and became really, really obsessed by it. You know, when you find that new thing. But there was no uh, real application for it, really, apart from my own events. So I started using projection mapping in 2003 and 2004 at my own events, uh, just as a way of learning and making my events look good. And one thing led to another, really, and that's how I really got into it. It was really a case of just knowing that this was something really interesting and becoming sort of passionate about it and, and um, excited about it. And it's interesting you mentioned being part of that scene, specifically in France. It seems like for whatever reason, projection mapping has been more embraced in France rather than, than North America, let's say. And I'm not sure about other parts of the, of the world. Mm. Uh, any thoughts on why that's the case? Well, projection mapping was actually invented in France, mm. going into the history of it. It was invented in France in the 1800s, believe it or not, right after the advent of glass slide photography. They used glass slides as negatives for taking photographs of buildings and places. And someone had the idea that instead of developing the glass slide into an image, they would shine a light back through the negative onto the building. So they kept the camera in place. They pulled the glass slide out and they painted onto the glass slide different um, colors and pictures and then put that back in there and shone the light through it. And that was the first ever projection mapped building or object. People like Jean-Michel Jarre and uh, other artists in France specifically have always been pushing the boundaries of light and art in, in the fact of performance or a spectacle since the 70s and 80s. So this really sort of set a, um, 
a culture of using light as a form of art in France specifically. It's been very supported and, you know, the, the, the Light Festival in Lyon's the founding sort of cultural events that, that championed this sort of art form. So and then that creates spin-offs then, you know, people go to those events, they believe that they can do it themselves, they become inspired and it creates a community of artists. For me, in the early days, it was, you know, people like Anti VJ, Joanne Le Mercier, and uh, Romain. They, they, were, they were starting to do stuff that was really engaging using computer software to start to, to, to do this sort of uh, a projection uh, art. That was really in that sort of era of, you know, late 90s, early 2000s was really when digital media was starting to come through and, and, and along with that came the ability to augment that media to a surface. So yeah, Europe is the founding, the founding zone for this art form in my eyes anyway. You really can draw a line from some of those early pioneers to the technology we see today. Yeah, it's sad to say that we think that we're being original right now, but, you know, someone's actually probably already done it in the 1800s. (laughs) You have to become at ease at some point with the fact that you may turn around and see a picture of someone in the 1800s who's done it with way less equipment than you've got and, uh, you know, similar effects. so. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about that work you're doing now. Describe Astro Project for us. Astro Project is a collective of artists that we work with around the world. It's a creative studio that specifically focuses on uh, augmented environments, immersive experiences, and visual art or new media art. We tend to uh, work really closely with large events or large experiences to to create objects or moments that haven't necessarily been seen before in the context that it's being presented. For example, we work with large brands like Samsung and Intel to break down this idea of physical performance and visual performance. From that, we've been involved with building roller coasters, developing sort of POV media for moving roller coasters with Warner Brothers and Scooby-Doo and various different other rides. On the other side, our own sort of artistic passions through the company, working with the likes of Burning Man and going into that event and really sort of expressing ourselves in this really harsh environment, which has led us to work with companies like Epson, Projectors and uh, NVIDIA and people like that. And then once we've sort of built the ship and we know where we're going to go to, we open the front doors and, and go, hey, come on, let's everyone get in, get in the boat. We're on a journey. Who wants to join us? We create a really sort of a very collaborative artistic direction. We're, we're not precious. We, we like to see ideas spin and move and morph and change. And it also really trains us pretty well to hit obstacles. You know, When we work in this sort of free-flowing uh, flow state artistically, it allows us to really pull and push off those obstacles and, and, and move, in, move us into new directions. And, and generally in those situations, we find the new things. This is where we find the, um, find the gold, essentially, artistically. Well, and through that, obviously you're an experimenter mm. and someone who's really interested in the possibility of technology. So I'm wondering, how do you harness that interest or, or combine it with clients when you're working with a client? 
at the base level we're geeks you know like we're the people who get really excited about the the launch of some new processor or some new uh, sort of video card at the moment we're really into this real-time artificial generative artwork so we get really into the underneath the hood of it and get excited about it and then by default these sorts of learnings and geekery you want to say inverted commas get pulled into our projects because we're excited about them you know we're like wow there's this new thing it hasn't happened before i think if we can make this middle part exist this middleware if we can create this little section of code we can connect these two things together what do you think that's how we generally get our, our clients excited about what we're doing. With respect to learning about it, it's just about research. It's research, experimentation, you know, late at night, having light bulb moments, you know, and just continuously doing that and not being scared that there's a reason for it or that there's a project that you're working on for it. It's really just broadcast uh, experimentation and ex exploration. And you find something and it goes on the shelf and it may be 70% complete or 50% complete, or there may be something that will prevent you from getting to the, to the end result. You know, you may hit a brick wall. It's a technological brick wall. And then one day that brick wall gets broken down by, by some advancement in technology. And suddenly that project comes alive again. If you told me five years ago that I would ever need Unreal Engine, let alone trying to learn it, um, at that time, that seemed so distant from the world of video and projection mapping. So in this fast-changing environment, what are the key skills for someone getting started today? I think for me, part of the reason why I have a good grasp on this is I've got a really good understanding of 3D spatial awareness of structures, um, perspectives and ideas to do with that. I'm dyslexic. I'm profoundly dyslexic. One of the gifts of being profoundly dyslexic is that I think in a 3D way. I think in 3D form. When I see a picture or an image or a location or a, or a room, it's, it's very much in a 3D sense. So understanding that as a key attribute to visualizing what something can be and the engineering required to try to make it work is a real is a really really key attribute to augmenting space or 3d environments now to learn that or to actually go into that as a profession programs such as you know uh, 3d cad design programs you know autodesk suites and things like that where you can start to do 3d 3d design is a really really great place to start and when we projection map a building generally we'll scan the building and create the building into a 3d object and that will go into our into our production suites um, and then we'll start working on it from there um, rather than taking an image or you know before we used to work in wireframe outlines so we would take a 3d and then try and pull an outline off it but now it's really maintaining that 3d perspective going into the 3D animation and 3D design is a really great starting point. You can do a lot in these, these programs such as Unity and Unreal. You can do 3D design. You can do architecture even in them. You know, there's, there's, there's different programs that are coming out now to do with even clothes design. So you can design clothes virtually and then create print patterns from clothes um, from those 3D files. So they're really, really multifaceted tools that are being used in a variety of different ways. 
at a base level, you know, like we started creating artworks with things like SketchUp and um, different CAD programs to start to understand the, the idea of creating different forms and structures and then reversing back out of that and figuring what we can do with the media on it. And I think 3D is a really great place to start if you wanted to get into projection mapping. The other part of it is obviously film and, and, and film content creation and editing and After Effects and uh, Houdini and Maya and all these sorts of CGI programs. But my hunch on it is that in the next five to 10 years, these programs will be effectively wiped away from the world of projection mapping unless you're doing a sort of a lo-fi approach, just purely from what's able to be done in, in, in these other programs. Unreal Engine 5 is, is, is mind-blowing, you know, really is mind-blowing. And when you team that up with NVIDIA and the RTX cards that are doing, uh, you know, real-time ray tracing, those two things together are going to redefine the way in which we absorb computer-generated graphics. I think the first part, though, is just the imagination, getting excited on a visualization of what you think can happen. Sure. But no matter how exciting your project is, people need to be able to see it. And while the situation is changing in some parts of the world, how can we navigate projection mapping as a business at a time when large gatherings of people aren't happening? Well, I can give you the perspective from... From my organization anyway, I mean, we've we've seen the landscape completely change, uh, primarily due to insurance, really, like a lot of people gathering in places and the ability to insure these events um, is the really the defining fact of them, the, of them being able to go ahead. Outside from our own company's perspective, with that in mind, we've been working with uh, a variety of different organizations and building owners on the development of uh, permanent digital media experiences. Think about Team Lab or the Atelier de Lumiere in Paris. These sorts of giant spaces that are conducted using media or interactive media. So we've been involved in some of the projects like that for the past three or four years now since this this dynamic has changed in the closing down of the, you know many many inner city nightclubs and uh clubbing as well and and how that's you know that could take years to get back to where it was before um so these spaces will be redefined that's the way i i, I see it these sorts of digital media galleries um, where people can go and experience immersive experiences and see artwork and, and walk into artworks. The future is really moving in that direction uh, in my eyes. And with regards to our company, uh, Astral Project, we've also been forced to reevaluate how we approach things. And I think we've, we've uh, as a company, we've just been going from project to project. You know, we haven't really sort of had a company direction. It's been a very successful eight years for us and um we've just been riding the roller coaster you know like going from one thing to the next and trying to jam projects into the spare gaps that are there uh, but generally the past few years have been kind of front to back full of stuff and so now we're we're really moving into this more of a studio sense where we're going to start curating and designing these sorts of digital experiences permanently where the city will then become redefined by 
the media and the digital media that's being shown in it and creating these sort of multi multifaceted networks of artwork around the world that are almost intercity communicate between artists in this large format sense. So yeah, our company is effectively being redefined at the moment to focus more on those sorts of projects rather than the uh, the events or the the public spectacle. We can start to see different problems being solved using artworks. You know, we did a project for New York on dangerous spaces and how we can make really really dangerous areas of the city safer by projecting artwork into them and to remove crime rates and things like that so the artwork will start to change and we're already seeing it we're already seeing these buildings and architectures being literally built around their ability to display these sorts of art forms and artworks and that's only going to get more and more prolific oh that's great to see the opportunity in this and to use this art form to maybe lead to a better tomorrow, but it'll certainly be a challenge, obviously. Mm. And speaking of challenges, what kinds of challenges have you faced with some of your previous pieces? Every project has its own unique set of challenges, um, either artistically or just practically trying to make it work. Burning Man was really interesting. We were in Bali and um, I was giving a talk in Bali about projection art. This guy, Sean Bam, contacted me at the end of the talk and he's like, you've got to come and um, project our stage at Burning Man. And we've been going to Burning Man for years. I was like, great, cool, let's let's look into it. And then instantly you run into the problem of like, okay, projectors at Burning Man, wow, okay. And the projectors that we were using at the time were the brand new laser projectors, you know, really, really expensive, very futuristic kit. Taking that equipment to Burning Man <laughs> inherently is a disastrous idea. So instantaneously, you know, you instant you 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 arrive at this hurdle. Well, we 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 approached it in an engineering sense of going right. How do we keep these projectors alive at Burning Man? The dust particle size, going into the 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 number of CFMs of of, of heat that need to be um, extracted from the projectors at any one time and how we would protect them whilst keeping them cool and all the parameters to do with that. So, yeah, we went into that and created a kind of a, a, a unique solution to keeping them alive, um, put our money where our mouth was and went ahead and did it. It went really, really well. It was a very successful project. And, at, you know, at the end of that, Larry Harvey was standing next to us. The late Larry Harvey was the founder of Burning Man. And he was like, oh, my God, what have you done? You know? <laughs> And we were like, yeah, we're projection mapping large things in Burning Man. He was like, this is insane. And <laughs> and then that's how the project came for us to design the man base. And we got pulled into um, this idea of this computer reality, which the idea had kind of formed the previous year, but it was really becoming defined about how we could create a, an artwork that would contain metadata of a human artificial intelligence document of code that would be then searchable by an artificial intelligent computer in the future. And they could search back and find this document implanted in the metadata of the movie files that we would release of the project. So this whole idea about communicating in the future sort of spawned. We had the perfect place to launch it, which was the center of Burning Man, which is the largest sort of circle of human beings gathering on the planet, I think. So it was a, it, all the reference pieces were perfect. And we'd also done our research and our work on how we we're going to keep the projectors alive the previous year. So we then went into um, 
a more integrated approach with Burning Man on our backs, basically going, make it happen. <laughs> and then sadly, after the contract, you know, we, one of the last contracts we kind of got signed with Burning Man, Larry Harvey sadly passed away two weeks after that. So then it, it even flipped and became this sort of different piece, which was like about, you know, Larry's last project, the Burning Man, and um, and having to fly that whole thing. So it was it was a really really special thing to be a part of, uh, and a variety of different hurdles to to get into. But one thing Burning Man teaches you as artists is to maintain the state of flow and and dynamic flow, um, the ability to to maneuver objects or obstacles and almost enjoy them when they arrive because you um i love i love problems arising in in our um in our industry because they create opportunities for invention and change i think if there was out anyone out there is kind of wondering how to kind of get through technological hurdles and what you mentioned problems and stuff was just to continuously keep failing you know what i mean don't give up trying because you failed just just uh, see the failure as a uh, a step on the ladder to getting to where you need to get to. What do you see as the ultimate application or use of projection mapping? For me, we're environmental beings, right? We are continuously learning and referencing the world around us. It generates different thoughts and senses and as human beings, being in a nice environment gives us a, a greater sense of well-being. That's been proven. You know, being outside in nature gives us a greater sense of care and humanity of the world. And our work specifically starts to generate different thoughts and creative thoughts. You know, we have left and right brain. The balancing of those two parts of our brain is we can't just be creative, but we can't just be analytical. Um, And I think the future of projection mapping really has a massive role to play in all of this. The understanding of ourselves and our environments and how we can change our environments to change ourselves. Projection mapping has a has a role in that. You know, we generally live in these sort of stark white spaces. If you walk through cities, they're grey, generally grey, sort of colourless places. Especially cities at night, or our places are um, dark and menacing and subversive. Now, if we can change them and, and create different experiences when we go into those places, then we can change ourselves. We can change the way in which we approach other people. We can we can clearly change the way in which we assimilate information and educate ourselves. The fastest bandwidth ability to educate yourself or receive information is through the eye. I can show you a picture, and in one second that picture can tell you a million different things. And I think this will be the future of how we, um, we educate our children. I think it will be the future of how we uh, overcome different uh, issues within ourselves, mental health and, and well-being and happiness. I also think we can start to reimagine and really crack open that ability to access that creative part of our brain just by changing the way something looks. Sure. I think projection mapping like music, like visual media, like TV or watching a film or something like that has a real role to play. I don't think it's at all been realized yet, primarily because of the technological issues. But I think in the future, we can start to see this sort of expansion of media around us. Of course, it can go the wrong direction. 
you know, it can go down a sort of a Blade Runner approach where you're being chased by adverts for kind of different shoes or something like that, you know, and you kind of can be bombarded with it and uh, attacked by it. But I think in the most beautiful utopian vision of the future, if you look out over a city, the city could be like a blooming artwork in itself and something that can be really quite transformative. I see the future being really led in that direction of how we consume media, phones and screens and looking at little box screens is, is, uh, I think that's going to end much the same as you see an image of people in the kind of the forties looking at a TV that's about, you know, 10 inches across and they're like, Ooh, you know, watching a TV program. Uh, we'll, we'll look back in probably 10 to 15 years and see these black boxes on the wall going, oh, yeah, yeah, we used to look at a black thing on the wall, a screen on the wall, you know, instead of having your entire world transformed around you. I want to thank you. Thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And go forth and create. Again, that's Joe Crosley, creator of Astro Project. You can find out more about his work at astroproject.com. And that's Project with a K. Joe's company is all about collaboration. And that's one of the key purposes of this podcast. So please tell a friend, leave a review, and help us grow our projection mapping community. If you have suggestions for future shows, send us an email, projectedfutures at gmail.com. Or reach out on Twitter, at projectedfuture. No S on the end. Once again, thank you for listening. And I hope you'll be back for our next episode.